This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. We were thrilled to receive interest from far and wide and to speak with several candidates who met our criteria. Ultimately, Dan Lanning stood out among the rest. Every game, every story. I appreciate your faith in me, and I promise to repay that faith with sweat in the bucket. Scoop Duck owner Justin Hopkins and Matt Bagley from 96.1 580 The Game. I'm Matt Bagley, joined across the magic of the interwebs by Justin Hopkins from On3 and ScoopDuck.com. And a lot's changed in the past two weeks, right? We got through Christmas, we got through New Year's, and we get back in the, uh, the podcasting realm getting to talk about these ducks after Oregon got through a bowl game. Do you want to start there, my friend, or do you want to talk about what's going on kind of outside the game with this program well i suppose we may as well rip the band-aid off and get right into it so it's always always better just to lead with bad news and then end with good news right (laughs) i guess yeah (laughs) (laughs) uh so bowl game right ducks lose and i i gotta say as as nice as that second half looked the first half was ugly as hell. I wasn't happy with it. No, I mean, you know, nobody was scoring three points, not moving the ball. You know, obviously a number of of throws that were not very good for Anthony Brown. Um, you know, unfortunately, just kind of more of the same of what we'd seen, you know, six, eight, ten, twelve quarters before that game. So, um, you know, I think fans wanted to blame Mario Cristobal for sticking with Anthony Brown. Uh, But Mario Cristobal wasn't at that game. And, you know, for Brian McClendon and Joe Moorhead to come back and decide that they wanted to stick with Anthony Brown, I don't think it, I I don't think it has much to do with, 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 uh, you know, Mario Cristobal being stubborn or, you know, any of that. I think it really just shined the light on the fact that the absolute truth that, you know, Mario Cristobal, Joe Moorhead, all of the coaches agreed that, you know, their best chance of winning the football game is with Anthony Brown. And you don't have to love that. Okay. We don't have to love that or pretend that, that that's a terrific situation for Oregon to be in it. It's not, but that's the harsh, harsh reality that I think that that game, uh, you know, really showed everybody is that, Hey, you know what? Oregon went with Anthony Brown because they felt like that gave him the best shot at winning. And, uh, I guess we can kind of put that chapter to bed now. Finally, <laughs> yeah. I I know neither of us are are your your X's and O's experts. I, I think QB eleven at your site does a good job of that. Hit the day at addicted to quack. Uh, you know he's he's my favorite in that realm. Um, and then you know a bunch of people obviously outside the duck sphere that do that well nationally. But with Anthony Brown. Is it safe to say after what we saw, after the way he was able to move the football in the second half, is it safe to say there was a way to scheme a better Anthony Brown and the old staff just couldn't do it? What, what, what's your read on all that? Uh, that's tough. I mean, you know, I guess I personally felt, and again, you know, neither of us claim to be, you know, uh, the X's and O's guru, but... I personally felt that Anthony Brown, I know you guys can hear the plane in the background. I'm sitting outside because it's raining and it's kind of nice and it's refreshing. It's not super cold today. Yeah. So it just, I'm sure you can hear the rain and it's kind of, I have a metal roof. So I really enjoy the, the sound of the rain on my metal roof. 
Uh, and oh, there's a rainbow. Yeah. Anyways, back on track. Uh, squirrel. Um, no, <laughs> I, you know, for me personally, I think that uh, I I know that it can be living and dying by it. But I probably would have liked to see Anthony Brown run the football a little bit more. Um, you know, I know there was some RPOs. I know there was some options for him to run or pitch the ball. And it seemed as though outside of maybe a couple games or, or a few drives, he really, you know, did not want to run the ball as much as I think I would have liked him to, because again, he's, you know, 240 pounds. He's a big guy. We know he could take a beating. Um, you know, you don't want him getting beat up in the first three games of the season and risking the rest of, of the, of the year for him. But the Alamo Bowl game where, you know, it's obviously the last game. I, I felt like he could have ran the ball a little bit more, uh, especially after maybe they saw a few of the early passes in the game that clearly were at the feet or below the knees of several receivers. So, you know, that for me um, was one area. Um, I know fans want to pinpoint to the second half and the, and the long passes that Oregon was able to do. Uh, but but really, uh, you uh, those passes were not going to effectively work all season long. They were they were prayer hail mary passes in the second half of a bowl game that you know was uh, was at that point mirroring a glorified spring game. Um, you know those were not effective passes. They were effective in the game. Obviously, they had the outcome that you wanted them to have. But to think that that style of offense of Anthony Brown dropping back and just look, sending the ball up to the moon and hoping somebody would come down with it, uh, you would have had a, a, a lot of interceptions this season and you would have been equally as disappointed. So um, I know everybody wants to pit, you know, point to that, but again, that's not an effective offensive strategy throughout the course of the season. Okay. All right. Well, we started off with the bad news, as you said, the elephant in the room, Alamo Bowl loss to Oklahoma. Now we get some of the good news, some of the good stuff. After that game, Oregon starts to clear out its coaching staff. I, I see some old names like our friend Aaron Feld moving on. I see some new names coming in. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I don't even know where to begin. You know, obviously, uh, you know, I think maybe I'll just I'll back it up a, a half an, half an inch or so there and you know, for me, I know I've written about this and tweeted about it, but, you know, kudos to that coaching staff that is no longer a part of Oregon for coming back, finishing out the season for, you know, kind of seeing that thing through in a win or a loss. They came back for the players, um, you know, and, and I, I think that's certainly commendable because it's it's very easy for those guys to just, you know, pick up, move and head to the next stop. Right. Um, you know, so I really appreciate that. And like you said, you know, there's a few of our favorites in there. You know, Aaron Feld, a guy that we've had uh, on the pod before and, and a guy that I think people really, you know, got very, uh, you know, close to even if it, from a, a social media standpoint. Um, you know, did a lot of great things at Oregon, really elevated the program. Um, you know, got to give him credit much the same way we do with Coach Cristobal. Like, hey, look, these guys might be leaving, but, you know, they left this place in a better, a better spot than they found it. Let's commend them for that. You know, Coach Feld certainly feels that way uh you know coach moorhead obviously going to akron that's great for him coach wilson at nevada that's great for him um yeah i mean <laughs> i i know i don't know what to say but they're all gone you know you just you just you kind of turn around and you're like wait a second there's literally not one single uh you know on we'll call it on field coaching member 
you know, sure, there's a couple of recruiting guys and some of that, you know, that staff doesn't typically see the turnover that coaches do. But, uh, yeah, as far as the coaches go and, and most notably Aaron Feld, uh, it's, uh, I guess it's out with the old and in with the new. It's yeah. pretty surreal. Yeah, no retention really on the, uh, like you said, on-field coaching staff. But but I want to talk about Feld for a minute because I, I, you know, I lurk your site and I read and I learn a lot from, from what your readers say because you'll get like the crazy person out on left field that, you know, they, they think Dan Lanning is going to go 12 and 0 every year and Mario is a terrible coach and the Ducks should have fired Mario after the bowl game to Boise State like you're going to get crazies like that but you also just get a lot of people that that maybe think a little bit differently than you or I might do that can say some really insightful things and I was always taken aback at the criticism that some of these smart fans would have at Aaron Feld like I saw a guy that I thought really bonded with the Oregon players and, and someone that had the respect to the Oregon players and a lot of fans questioning his value. But you've been right on this the past two days talking about how he left Oregon in a better place um, than it was when he came in. I'd love if you could elaborate there. Well, yeah, I mean, um, you know, I don't think anybody – uh, wants to pick on Radcliffe, who held the job for a long time in Oregon, uh, but he he was pretty much kind of doing it by himself. And 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 from a, a speed perspective, um, I don't think there was anybody better. But you know, in terms of of building mass and body movement and things like that, that you know, quite frankly, I don't completely understand. But I do understand how they apply to football and football players. You know, Aaron, Aaron Feld definitely took that group to a new level. Were, did they maybe have the the technical speed training that, that players under Radcliffe did uh, 10, 15 years ago? No, of course not. I mean, that guy's a – he's world-renowned. But, I mean, to, to you know, to build bigger, stronger, faster football players, you know, I don't think there's any doubt that Aaron Feld certainly did that. And not only did he do it by himself, he also was largely – uh, involved in the hiring of the assistants that they had as well at Oregon. So they built that out to, you know, there was four or five strength and conditioning uh, staff members. Of course, Aaron, Aaron Feld was what we'll just call the head coach of that group. Right. And there were several assistant coaches under him. Um, but all those guys kind of brought something different to the table um, and, and really made a great group. So I, I, you know, are there better strength and conditioning coaches out there? Yeah, sure, maybe. I don't. I, I don't know. It's it's a sub, it's a subjective art form. Um, I mean, just in the, the the fitness and strength and conditioning world alone, not even applying it just to football. You know, you have completely differing opinions by people on the right technique or the right foods to eat or when to eat or you know varying reps or you know all these things that go into it that make it such a science. Um, you know, I think Coach Feld obviously. Um, you know, stuck with the way he knows, um, did a really good job at it. And again, like like you said, like we said here, uh, I think Oregon's strength and conditioning program is in a much better place uh, than it was four or five years ago when he got here. And I, I believe that Oregon fans should be thankful to him for that. Yeah. Yeah. It, ultimately, for me, you know, with a job like that, you, you don't see their decisions the same way you see a coordinator's decisions on Saturday. Or, or see if a player makes a boneheaded penalty, you can blame the coach, right? You, you don't really see a, a, a 
a tangible thing to um, to judge a strength coach on. You could argue injuries, but I think football is a collision sport, so it's kind of tough to, to, to blame injuries on any one thing. Um, but the players loved him, and the players thought that, that he was making them better. Uh, aside from Aaron Feld, who do you think is the biggest loss in that coaching staff? Um, you know, there's a, you know, there's a number of them. I, I think that Brian McClendon is probably the, the one that most fans and probably most media, including myself, would say is the biggest loss. I think he's a tremendous recruiter. Um, I think he did a really good job holding together his room, his wide receiver room. Um, and, you know, I just think that there's a lot of folks close to him that feel like there's a, a potential future head coach there. Maybe not at Oregon. Okay, he's going to have to work his way up the ladder. But, you know, having somebody with that kind of of, of charisma, having that kind of upside potential uh, is great to have on your staff as, a, as an assistant coach. So I, I think that that's the one, you know, most there. I think uh, Mario Cristobal was fortunate to have some really good guys with him. I think Jim Mastro is a really good, smart, great running back coach that, that was very loyal to Mario Cristobal and just had a lot of overall knowledge. Um, I would say the same for Ken Wilson, just a real hard worker, you know, great, great guy in terms of, you know, team building and, and developing his guys. Um, you know, that's another guy that, that I think, you know, really did a lot of favors for the ducks while he was here. Um, you know, Alex Mirabal, again, you know, the offensive line, was typically a strength uh, position group at Oregon. I know that Mario Cristobal was very much involved there, but, you know, Alex Mirabal is a great guy, uh, great team guy. Uh, you could see a lot of the players, you know, really responding to him and his departing message as well. So, you know, those are, those are a few of the guys that immediately jump out, um, you know, to me. Uh, I don't, uh, you know, uh, Joe Moorhead wasn't here that long. I think he's a great play caller. But, you know, when, when they're only here for two years and, and one of them's a, a six-game weird COVID season or whatever that was, mm-hmm. you just don't grow that attachment to them like you do the guys that were here for three or four or five years. And that's that's natural. That's not a knock on anyone. Same, you know, for Tim DeRuiter and Marcel Yates. I think they're good coaches, but they were here for, you know, just not even a full year. And so it's hard for us to all get, you know, too attached to them. So anyway, so those are just a couple uh, you know, Mari had a really good staff here, but obviously I know we'll get to it, but Dan Lanning's assembling something that's uh, equally remarkable, if not better. Yeah, and and you know me really well, because that's my follow-up here. Of the guys coming in, who excites you the most? <sighs> uh, you know, that's that I don't know about most. Um, you know, obviously I think what we – probably largely agree on as the headliners or our offensive line coach Adrian Clam and, def- and defensive uh, coordinator Tosh Lupoy um, you know they're they're gonna bring absolutely just immense recruiting chops uh, to this program you know and and what you know what better position groups to have your you know arguably your two best recruiters at you've got offensive line and, and defensive line uh, with those two so you know, those are guys that have gone out and signed multiple five stars beyond their position groups at previous stops. And, uh, you know, maybe they're a little bit older now, 
you know, maybe they're a little bit wiser, but both of them just spent the last several seasons in the NFL. So now, you know, they're probably obviously much better developers of that talent as well than they were early in their careers. So, you know, maybe you're getting the best version of those two. You know, those are a couple of headliners to me. Um, you know, the Dillingham hire offensive coordinator, I think, I think it can be good. I think it can be, you know, uh, I think he can be the guy that might bring back, you know, some of the more exciting offense that we're used to seeing at Oregon. Um, and I think that'll be refreshing to fans. So, you know, I, I think that's a great hire. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, just, you know, Demetrius Martin, you know, that's a, that's a home run hire. I mean, you know, really since Dante Williams left Oregon for USC, you know, the ducks have kind of been looking for that, that guy in the secondary to replace Dante. I think Demetrius Martin is probably going to be the closest thing we see to that in terms of being able to recruit. So, um, I, you know, I don't, and then you go steal Washington's, you know, easily art Washington's top recruiter and junior Adams, uh, to be your wide receiver coach. It's a lateral move for him, but obviously, um, you know, that's pretty big to steal your, your, one of your rivals, top, top coaches. So I, I appreciate that coach Lanning went out and got, uh, some young guys, some recruiters, uh, but also did a really good job of of still connecting the West Coast. You know, Clem has West Coast connections. Um, Demetrius Martin, West Coast connections. Junior Adams, West Coast connections. Not all the guys on staff, too, but you got three or four or five guys that do, and I think that that's a really good starting point for them. Yeah, yeah. You, you mentioned a laundry list of talented coaches, uh, but Adrian Clem is the one that really stands out to me. I, I compare it to Jim McCalsick, who is the line coach at Oregon State right now and someone that, you know, people will roll their eyes and go, oh, here's Bags talking about his beeves again. But McCalsick, if you ask coaches across the Pac-12, he's considered the gold standard of line coaches in the conference right now. And, and I think about Mario Cristobal saying something to the effect this year before the Ducks played Oregon, Oregon State that McCalsick's line was the smartest zone-blocking scheme, most well-coached zone-blocking scheme that, that he saw in all of college football this past year. So, you know, I, I, I compare him to Jim McCalsick because Jim McCalsick comes to Oregon State from a really similar background, major college football and the NFL. And, and left the NFL to go back to college football and, and go back to the Northwest? And is he recruiting five stars and 350-pound mammoths every year? Maybe not. But he's teaching and developing at an elite level. Now, I think Adrian Clem can be a better recruiter than Jim McCalsick, but you, know, you go into the NFL and you get a line coach from the Pittsburgh Steelers, I think you get someone that can be a great teacher and, like you said, developer on that McCulsick level and uh, build the best line in the Pac-12 again. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, I think that it's important to kind of know that um, they're uh, like Dante Williams. Okay, Dante Williams is an elite recruiter as a as a cornerback secondary coach right and and that was the thing for mario cristobal is like okay so who's the next best guy who can we get and i think there's a pretty steep drop off you know and and no it's like the demetrius martin i think he's going to do really good at oregon but up until this point i think there's been a, a pretty steep drop off and i i think that 
it's the same thing with with offensive line coaches. There's very few really good offensive line coaches out there anywhere, and in particular in the Pac-12. And I think that, you know, I'm not I'm not discrediting Alex Mirabal, but you know, Dean Lanning's job is okay. How can we make sure that we're you know closing that gap at the at the top with offensive line coaches? And I, and I think he went out and hired probably the best guy he could do that with, who will probably, like you said, outperform in terms of um, you know, outperform in terms of recruiting. But again, now you now you've still got to coach them and, and get them going as well. Yeah. Okay. Um, new staff, old staff, lots of changes there. We can say the same thing about the roster. Uh, some ducks have decided to stay for their senior year. Some others have decided to declare for the draft, and some others are swimming around in the transfer portal right now. How do how do you feel about all that? Um, as far, as far as just, uh, you know, the guys leaving and, and coming and stuff like that. Sure. Um, I mean, Verone McKinley, uh, I guess we'll start there. I mean, um, you know, him going to the NFL, I think was the, the most logical choice for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I don't feel like uh, as much as I would have loved to see him come back and, and play for another year. And he would have been a great addition to this team. I don't know that he personally would have upped his NFL draft stock all that much, if at all. So I think he probably made the right decision for himself to go into the NFL. Um, You know, uh, Devin Williams going in the NFL, um, that was honestly a foregone conclusion anyways. Whether Mario Cristobal stayed or went, that was happening. Um, You know, he was just ready to to take that next step. And uh, I think more so not have to worry about getting his homework turned in on time. Um, you know, so, uh, as far as those go, you know, they make sense. Uh, Jason Jones electing to leave and go to Auburn. Um, it's pretty clear that he was, you know, wanting to get back closer to home and, um, you know, we need to understand as Oregon fans that if you're going to recruit nationally like mm-hmm. that, that that's going to be a, a byproduct on the back end. You know, sometimes you're just going to get these guys that, that get homesick and, and the distance is too far and it doesn't work. Uh, you know, they're going to leave. And that one hurts. I mean, don't get me wrong. That's a good player. Uh, he was really starting to come along there in the second half of the season. Um, you know, that one definitely hurts. But, um, again, regardless of Mario Cristobal, I don't think there's anything that could have been done about that one. I think he was going uh, regardless. And, and Auburn happened to be the, the closest pick to home, um, you know, with Alabama not really being an option. So, um yeah, those are the ones I've, I'm trying to think of what other, I mean, Micah Pittman going to Florida State, obviously we've talked about that. That's, uh, that's old news at this point. So, <laughs> um, yeah, well, yeah I, anybody else? I think all three of those examples, you, you know, I, oh, all three, I, I, you, you mentioned two, but the third one that pops in my head is uh, Kingsley going to BYU about a month and a half ago. I, I'm not going to blame those players for going home, you know? Like, like you hit the nail on the head. Homesickness is a real thing. And when you recruit, say, Micah Pittman, who has family in Florida, it's where his dad played in, in the NFL for the Bucks, or you recruit a Jason Jones out of Bama, and I remember you mentioning this when Oregon got his commitment, you said, hey, you know, this is rare. We just got somebody out of Alabama. And then with Kingsley in Utah, this is the other side of that coin, is when you recruit nationally, some of those kids are going to get homesick and they're going to go back home. It is what it is. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, fans, you get emotionally attached and you get upset because 
why would he leave Oregon? Look at, you know, look at us for Oregon. It's like, cause man, mom's back there. Dad's back there. You know, little brother's back there. Their, their friends are back there, you know, just being able to see their family on the weekends and not like twice a season. I mean, just, I mean, not, not everybody's the same. Some people can leave and, and, and not turn around and not have to worry about it. And for others, it's really hard to do. And, you know, we're talking about 17, 18 year old kids here that are obviously at much different uh, maturity levels. Uh, you know, every one of them are at different maturity levels and, and that's okay. That's just what you get. You know, these are not paid professional athletes in the NFL where you could basically tell them where to go and that's what they do. That's a, I mean, it's just not a, a fair comparison. Yeah, when they get to the NFL, they won't be able to choose where they're going. We all understand that, but they're also paid, mm-hmm. you know, for their jobs. And that's not necessarily the case as a, as a prep, as a college, as a college player, although we're getting closer and closer to that. But um, even with that in mind, look at Quinn Ewers, you know, went up to Ohio State, uh, moved himself up a year early, graduated early. Uh, graduated a year early, went to Ohio State, didn't even make it through the year, and had a, a pretty lucrative NIL deal to get up there. So, um, I, I mean, it, it is what it is. Yeah, you recruit nationally, and this is going to be a byproduct of it. Um, this is this is still a ten times more stacked football roster at Oregon than it was when Mario Cristobal got here. So, oh, totally. you know, Dan Lan- Dan Lanning doesn't have this massive uphill climb because. Jason Jones and Devin Williams and, you know, DJ James left the program. Um, you know, sure, he'd love to have those three players back, but, um, you know, he's got a pretty dang good roster sitting there right now. So, uh, you know, Oregon, Oregon's going to be all right. Yeah, and, and even if he didn't, like, let, let's let's play the, uh, the cynic here for a minute and say, you know, Oregon just lost a great coaching staff and a great coach, and they're plummeting in the recruiting rankings. I don't believe that garbage, but, you know, the cynic in me. Um, even if that were true, Oregon is going to get better because you have a young quarterback room that y- you hope if you give Ty Thompson some reps next year, he's going to grow into one of the best quarterbacks in the Pac-12. Oregon has a young wide receiver room. Just look at the guy making those plays in the second half, Troy Franklin. And Oregon has a really young defense with uh, Sewell and Flo and, and all these guys that are going to be sophomores or juniors next year. Like, it's it's not an empty cupboard. No, and it's, you know, we're sitting here, you and I recording this early January, and I know, you know, we'll talk about recruiting in the coming weeks. It's kind of in a in a bit of a, a stagnant lull at the moment as most of the new staff is arriving to Eugene, uh, you know, this past weekend and this week still, um, you know, those guys are, are, are showing up to Eugene and checking into hotels and, and trying to, you know, get directions to, to where they're working and getting stuff in their offices. So yeah, the recruiting will come, but you got to give, give, give some of these guys a little bit of time to get in there and, and get their, uh, get their boots on the ground. But um, yeah, that's the nice thing for Dan Lanning. Once he's done at Georgia uh, in the next week, you know, he'll have the opportunity to come to Oregon and it's not like he needs to go recruit 25 guys. He doesn't need to go sign 25 guys. He just needs to go probably find somewhere between five and 12 guys that he feels helps this program and kind of rounds it out and, uh, and off you go. And, And that's a really nice thing for a head coach not to have to be worried about, you know, jumping in the transfer portal for a bunch of guys and 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 scrounging the the scraps of recruiting in the month of January. So, uh, Oregon's in a great spot. I got a fork in the road for you here on the pod. Um, 
College Football National Championship game is Monday night. That's the 10th of January, 5 o'clock, ESPN Family and Networks. Do you want to get into the what's next for Oregon, like the like the early steps of the landing era now or next week? Uh, let's just touch on it now. Yeah, I mean, we may as well just, just give it a few minutes of time because I know that folks are probably wondering about that, and it's, and it's definitely a big deal. Okay. Yeah, so simple as that. It's just two words. What's next? Well, uh, I think it's pretty clear at this point, if you haven't been paying attention, your head's in the sand. You know, Coach Lanning can can burn the midnight oil and, 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 do, and pull double duty. Uh, obviously, he had that defense ready against Michigan. Uh, they played lights out. Uh, you know, that was an incredibly great win for Georgia. Uh, and I think that there were people on both sides that – you know, him being at Georgia and on the sidelines isn't that big a deal for Oregon. And then folks that said, hey, this is pretty, pretty good for Oregon. This is your, you know, your next head coach. And and, and he's got, you know, he's going to be on the sidelines leading a defense that goes to the national championship potentially. Uh, and, it, it, and it clearly worked out for those for those folks that believe the latter. I think that it was very positive for Oregon, you know, to see Coach Lang there, to see that defense that looked absolutely just maniacal uh, against Michigan. Um, you know, that I think gives recruits. Uh, a pretty warm, fuzzy feeling if you're a defensive player, like, hey, that guy's going to Oregon. Maybe I want to give them a look. So I, I, I think that was great. Um, but kind of back to your, I guess, what we'll call the fork. Um, you know, I think Coach Lanning has proven that he was able to, to do his duties out there very well at Georgia uh, and hire a very strong staff at Oregon. In the meantime, he just rounded out his staff uh, late last week. Uh, you know, so with that being done, I feel as though now he was able to do that essentially on his own. Now he's got, you know, nine, 10, 11 coaches out in Eugene, Oregon that he can, you know, essentially kind of delegate, hey, get your position group ready, you know, run through the guys that you think we need to recruit. Let's talk about them and let's meet instead of him having to do all of it on his own, you know, back back from Georgia. So. Right. Um, you know, he's going to, he's going to have absolutely no problem now, uh, kind of switching into recruiting and, and let's be real, even, you know, uh, you know, Mario Cristobal, we, we both know was very involved in recruiting as a head coach. We know he loved it, lived it, breathed it. And that's great. And I know Dan Lanning loves recruiting as well, but ultimately his job is really just to be, um, kind of a complimentary recruiter. So, you know, if it's an offensive line guy, Coach Clem should be the one doing all the heavy lifting there with Coach Laning maybe coming in once or twice a week or sending a text message every couple of days, kind of checking in. He doesn't have to be the primary recruiter. So, you know, I think that Coach Laning will be able to, to get this game done, uh, get back to Eugene, and, and kind of get ready to hit the ball rolling. And again, once again, he's probably only looking to sign somewhere between five and ten guys in the next 30 to 45 days. So, um, you know, it's not like he's got to come back and throw up this board with 100 names on it. He's probably got to throw a board up with like 20 names on it and kind of whittle it down. So um, that's what's next. Uh, ultimately, it's on his staff that's in Eugene now to kind of get all of that organized. But, uh, you know, he'll focus on beating Alabama uh, this time around. Uh, and then I'm sure he'll be on a plane the very next day out here uh, ready to hit the ground running. Yeah, I like that you mentioned the difference between – December 2021 Dan Lanning and January 22 Dan Lanning he's got help now he's got coaches on staff like Adrian Clem who we mentioned like 
Kenny Dillingham, who we mentioned, that it's not a situation of, well, they'll be at Oregon. They are coming to Oregon. They are going to make an impact at Oregon, and they can take some of the load off of Dan Lanning. So I think he can focus on winning a national championship and then getting to Eugene and, and starting the uh, the, the Danimal experience. Um, kind of piggybacking on that, how busy do you think Dan Lanning is this week? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, 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 you know we're all still, and I say we're, media, uh, you know, fans, we're all still eager to kind of get to know Dan Lanning, right? Like we've, we've gotten to know him on the surface real quick. We got to do a, you know, we got to have a quick lunch with him essentially and he, and he jettisoned back to Georgia, uh, you know, and now we're kind of all observing him working from afar, but not, not fully, you know, not fully doing all the work just yet. I, I think everybody's just eager to kind of really get in. I think, you know, people have started doing more background checks into him and, and realizing he's a really good guy and, and just kind of have a, has an interesting story and it, his rise you know to where he is now is is, is pretty historic um, but yeah getting him out here and, and having the opportunity to to hear him on more of the of the radio shows um, you know that type of thing but for now we're just kind of getting to watch him um, I, I've been told you know I've been told by people close to him that and people that that do know both uh, Coach Lanning and Coach Cristobal are like, hey, look, Coach Cristobal works as hard as anybody, but this guy ain't far off, if at all, you know. And and I think that that's what his last few weeks have been like. You know, he's he's calling coaches, he's going through the hiring process with them. Obviously, talking to the uh, ath- athletic director about some of those guys he's hiring. Um, you know, was able to secure the transfer of Bo Nix uh, at quarterback. Uh, in the meantime, uh, get a, a a small but a, a strong little class signed. In the meantime, um, so I would imagine that that uh, Coach Lanning's probably running. Uh, I don't think he's probably a Cuban coffee drinker like Mario Cristobal, <laughs> but he's probably slamming some Monster Energies and 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 you know working on very little sleep these days. And yeah. uh, uh, but that's exciting. That's what these guys do. That's that's how they get to be great. And most of us here and be like, man, I don't know if I could, you know, work at that level. I'm I'm sure for four million dollars we'd probably figure out a way. But um, you know, kudos to him because uh, once again, I doubt he has seen his family all that much. Yeah, hold the Bustello and hand me some Red Bull. Sounds like my kind of guy. Um, I, I just I was thinking about this this week, Justin. Just like sure, it would be easy to kind of peek ahead at his next job and you start recruiting and start talking to coaches and drafting up you know maybe what his playbook is going to look like or or uh, here's how I want my office decorated but he has a chance to win a national championship game I I can't imagine that Oregon is going to be on the front burner for him this week nor would I want Oregon to be on the front burner like if I were him I'd be trying to win a natty too yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, again, I think now that, you know, now that he has his staff largely in place, uh, you know, all but all but uh, all but Tosh Lupoy and Junior Adams, I believe those are the only two that haven't been officially announced, although Junior Adams has already updated his his Twitter profile to reflect the, the move to Oregon. Um, you know, you've got all those guys. You've got Marshall Malchow. 
you know, obviously Don Johnson was retained and returned. You probably have a better relationship with him now and, and you know, can communicate a little bit more effectively there. So, you know, you, you really, if you're Dan Landing, you can basically say, hey, look, give me this week. Let me let me do what I need to do out here. Uh, you know, you guys call me. You guys call me when you need me. Don't hesitate to call me, but let me really try to focus on this stuff. I got the staff in place. You guys go ahead and start looking at your recruiting boards. And then as soon as I'm done with this thing, we'll go over them and we'll hit the ground running. And uh, yeah, that's what I, that's, I mean, that's, and for Oregon, you know, I think that's the best thing. Hey, you're, if you're this close, you know, there's no real need to push to get your coach out here. Let that guy go win a national championship and let that, you know, and be the defensive coordinator for that team and then have that be your selling point through the month of January. That's going to ring pretty strongly with the, at least the defensive recruits that you're going to be recruiting for Oregon, but definitely everybody will pay attention to it. All right. Um, okay. So that just tackled uh, the only other ducks thing that I had. Uh, do you want to talk about the playoff for a couple minutes? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, Georgia killed Michigan. I, I thought they totally outclassed the Wolverines in, in almost every phase. I thought the Bama game was closer. Like, Desmond Ritter just had a terrible day. I, I think I think if Desmond Ritter played at his best, no nerves, no flutters, I think Cincinnati could have won that game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know if they could have won, but, I mean, I think they could have made it you know, a little bit more interesting or a little bit more interesting, at least from a, a, a scoring perspective. Um, I don't know. I, I, I feel that, I feel that a, you know, Cincinnati was a, a pretty big underdog, uh, you know, with betters um, and for a reason. I mean, I think overall, you know, in order to beat a team like Alabama, uh, you don't have to play perfect football, but you got to play pretty darn good football. And, uh, and, you know, the odds are against you if uh, kind of being that the case. I think a team like Bama and obviously a team like Georgia, when you're as talented as they are, um, you know, you can have a couple mistakes and usually survive them. And unfortunately for, let's say, in this case, Cincinnati and Michigan, where you are, uh, you know, a little bit, not a little bit, a, a lot outclassed in terms of, of recruiting and talent. Uh, you can't make those mistakes. So obviously nine out of 10 times, you're going to bet on the team that, that, you know, can get away with the mistakes. I, I, I agree with you. It could have been closer. Um, I just never, I don't know. I just never, I mean, this is, this is, okay. I'm going to give you a fork uh, in the road. Obviously if, if <laughs> this is, this is what makes it really tough when people want to say, Hey, you know, give Cincinnati, give, um, you know, give Coastal Carolina, give whoever a chance in the playoff. Mm -hmm. Let's see what they can do. Well, unfortunately, they never end up doing anything. You know, <laughs> you know, uh, Notre Dame gets lucky because they're an independent and, you know, finds themselves lucked into the playoff more times than they should and, you know, never really gets anywhere with it. So I'm not trying to fork in the road and get into a college football playoff expansion debate because I think we could do that in the offseason. But, um, it, it definitely kind of goes into that. Um, as far as the Georgia-Michigan game, once again, that defense, I, 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 I never, I was never able to really buy into Michigan. I thought they were a good team, not a great team. Uh, I know they had a good season. I have no problem with them having a good season, but 
Um, I just didn't see any way that that Michigan or Cincinnati was going to be able to hang with with Georgia and Bama respectively, and and ultimately neither really did. Yeah, you know, you you talk about expansion. I think Nick Saban said it best when when he was asked about this uh, post game after Alabama gets the win. If your argument for expansion is that we need to include all of the best teams in the country, then it, it's really hard to reconcile that with what you saw on Friday, which was two of the four, quote-unquote, best getting blitzed. Um, to me, expansion isn't about just letting the best play the best, because that may just be an, an SEC Invitational or SEC versus the Big Ten Invitational. Um, but to me, the playoff is about including the champions. I, I, I think it would be fair if a Utah got a shot, given what we saw them do in the Rose Bowl. I think it would be fair if a Big 12 champion like a Baylor got a shot you know the way they got that fourth down stop to win that championship I think it would be fair for for an ACC champion right think of what Pitt was able to do kind of in Clemson's shadow right they they were the better team than Clemson this year they they have big bad Clemson defeated I'd love to see them get a shot at the dance Uh, it wouldn't necessarily be the best teams but I think you know, you have to put the champions in. That that's why I would like to see it expanded. But I I agree with you. If you expand it to to six or eight or twelve, you're going to get more games like this. You're you're going to have at least in the short term more games where that number one or number two team in the country just slaughters their opposition. Yeah, I I um, <clears throat> you know the 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 expansion talk to me. I guess it's it's you know, it boils down to two things. Uh, do you, okay, here's the, here's what, here's what I see. You could expand it to however many teams you want. And I would probably wager that nine and a half out of 10 times, it's not going to change the outcome. It's, you know, Bama or Georgia or whoever is going to win, whether there's two teams or 16 teams. So I think the end result more than likely is the same, but I will say this. I believe that if you do expand it into some sort of expanded playoff format, you will see less opt-outs and more teams that will remain together and the Bulls will be more competitive and more fun overall. At some point, you know, those guys are going to, you know, whoever, the the Notre Dames and the Clemsons and the Oklahomas and the the Oregons and whoever, they're going to run into the buzzsaw that is going to be the two teams that make the national championship. Okay, that's going to happen whether you have two or 20 teams. But, again, I think if you do expand it, I think at this moment, to me, unless you want to include this in NIL stuff, it's the only way that you're going to stop this trend of players opting out is by, hey, look, now you actually do have a shot at winning a national championship. There's a 10-team playoff. There's a, a... a 20 team playoff, whatever the case might be, you know, those teams are all going to feel at some, on some level that they have a chance at competing for a national championship now. And you'll more than likely get more, you'll get more of these guys to stay, which is honestly, I think the the only way that you're going to fix the bowl season moving forward, unless 
schools begin to make it a, um, you know, unless they begin to make it part of NIL packages that they offer players. Right. I totally agree there. You know, I, 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 um, I read criticism about the opt-outs, and, and of course we could we could badger about what Kirk Herbstreet said about players not loving football. I don't think it's that they don't love football. I think it's that, like you said, players really care about two things, right? And it's it's similar to what everyone in college cares about, right? They want to succeed in their career, and they they want to achieve in in their career and those can be two different things so like you you want to ace your classes you want to do well in school and then you want to get a good job when you get out so ultimately why do student athletes opt out well they want to save their bodies for draft prep and their draft grades that's reason number one right advance their career reason number two is they're gauging this game and they're asking themselves, you know, for the Boca Raton Bowl or the Tax Slayer Bowl or the Alamo Bowl, they're asking themselves, is this a valuable game, right? Do I need to win this trophy? Do I need to achieve this to achieve in my career? And I think the answer is no. But if it were the playoff, the answer is yes, and they stay for the playoff. Yeah. I think it's, yeah, there has to be something on the line for them. There has to be some sort of, you know, reward. Like, okay, I'm going to come back and I'm going to risk this. If I'm going to risk this, what's my reward? And, you know, there's too many bowl games now. They're, you know, they're diluted. Um, You know, there's the Jimmy Kimmel Bowl for crying out loud. I mean, I don't, you know, it's just at some point, yeah, they need to, you know, they need to decide, hey, are we going to, you know, take it back down and, and limit these bowl games or, you know, are we going to start including them in the playoff or, you know, I, I don't know what the answer is. There may not be a perfect answer, but right now what they have isn't working. And, you know, it's going to continue this trend of opt-outs. It's going to continue. Um, you know, I don't know about you, but I found largely pretty much all of the bowl games up into the Alamo bowl were boring. And I mean, just normally I'm a geek for bowl games. I'm like, Hey, I'm going to watch every single one. And, you know, and I'm happy to watch them. They were largely, uh, for the most part, boring and uninteresting. Uh, you know, the Alamo Bowl, of course, we watched because we had a vest- vested interest. But really, the good games didn't start until, um, you know, didn't start until the two playoff games and then the games that were on New Year's. Those were the fun, fun games, and they all got crammed into two days. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't know what the answer is, but I don't get paid to know either. So I guess we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, college football national championship. Who do you like? Um, man, I, 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 it's tough. It's tough to beat Nick Saban. We know that, right? I mean, it's really tough, uh, especially when all the marbles are on the line. Um, you know, that said, I, I thought the way Georgia played, um, you know, this past Friday, uh, they played a really good game. I thought they looked like they were ready. They looked healthy. Um, I I believe that when Alabama beat Georgia, that Bryce Young pretty much played the game of his life. And he looked great. I mean, he played a fantastic game. Don't get me wrong. But I don't think we've seen him play quite at that level again um, as he did in that game. Now, he's been good. He's certainly a, a Heisman front runner. 
I'm not I'm not disagreeing with any of that, but I I think I think Georgia figures out a way to get this one done. Um, I think they win. I actually I actually think that they win um, by more than most are expecting. I think they'll handle Alabama, but and I say that, and that's my pick. I'm picking Georgia, but damn, it's really tough to pick against Nick Saban. Yeah. Yeah, ultimately, you know, that last sentence is why I'm stuck picking Bama. I I think Georgia's the better team. I think Georgia has the better roster on paper, but we just saw Bama beat Georgia in the SEC title game, and I think it's because of Saban, and I think, you know, it's going to happen again because I just can't pick against Nick Saban. So, gun to my head, I'm picking Bama. we still got a week, so who knows? I mean... You know, with COVID and injuries, there's a chance it could be totally different by next Monday. But right now, I'm I'm with you. I just can't pick against Nick Saban. Yeah, and I am. I'll, I'll stick with my pick and I'll say Georgia. I just the only thing, the only reason I say that is because I have a tough time believing Bryce Young will play at that level a second time. It was pretty. It was it was a pretty magical performance, really, if you go back and look at it. But I mean, he certainly could. So, and if he does, it's it's definitely going to be Alabama. But I'm gonna I'm gonna make my bet. I'm gonna stick with Georgia, and I guess maybe that's just me showing my allegiance to Oregon's next head coach. But um, I'm going Georgia. I'm going Dogs. Okay. All right. Well, he's rooting for the Dogs and for the Danimal, and for Dan Lanning to win a national championship before he heads to his new home in Eugene. I'm Matt Bagley. He's Justin Hopkins. We're Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. If you like the pod, leave us a good review on whatever app you use to listen to us. And if you can't find the pod, reach out on social. I still get questions from people about every week uh, asking, hey, where can I find this? Hey, what happened to the old feed? I can help you with that. Just reach out on Twitter at Bagley Sports or on the Scoop Duck site at Matt Bagley. Justin's deets are, you know, at J Hopkins SD on the Bird app and Justin Hopkins on the Scoop Duck site. Thanks for listening and go Ducks.